Radio. Let's talk pets. Good day from California. Welcome to the Anything Possible podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Courtney. I'm a veterinary surgeon, former co-host of Pet Talk and Natio Wild, host of Vet Candy Watch, and I'm just an all-around pet lover. As many of you know, this is a podcast where we celebrate the fact that everywhere you look, there is the beauty of that human-animal bond. And that bond influences our everyday lives. And lucky for me, I get to talk to some of the most fascinating and engaging people that help to explore and strengthen that bond. Novel coronavirus, COVID-19, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, literally that's all people are talking about lately. It's currently dominating the headlines and there's widespread concern and unfortunately some degree of panic in some areas. Unfortunately, the global death toll has climbed to over 5,400 with over 145,000 cases confirmed. And according to figures from John Hopkins University, so far 72,000 people have fortunately recovered from this disease. The situation is developing and updates are taking place at literally a breakneck speed. So it's possible that those numbers can change just in the course of this podcast. You know, and although the epicenter of the viral outbreak is in Wuhan, China, efforts still continue to identify not only the source, but reservoirs, possible intermediate hosts of the virus. I mean, the true source of this infection is still kind of being determined. And, you know, veterinarians, we understand coronaviruses belong to a large family of viruses, and they've sickened both animals and people. And veterinary professionals understand just how cruel coronaviruses can be, having treated illnesses such as feline infectious peritonitis, canine enteric coronavirus, porcine respiratory coronavirus, canine respiratory coronavirus, and extremely virulent pantropic canine coronavirus. So what I think is encouraging is the outpouring of love and concern for all family members, including those of a different species. That's been really heartening to see. There have been a flood of questions related to whether pet parents should be concerned about their loved ones at home and those who have been who have working animals, service animals, and farm animals, and other animal lovers have also had their fair share of questions. So today, I'm super pumped and extremely grateful to have an exciting guest with me. But before we do that, let's pause for a brief moment. And when we come back, we're going to talk to a specialist in this arena. If you're concerned about COVID-19 transmission to yourself or to your pets, or if you simply just want to hear the most accurate and well-presented collection of facts about this disease, you're going to want to hear from my next guest. I'm super thrilled to speak to her, and I think you should be too. So stay with me, and we'll be back in a moment. I've had blue fern Amazon parrots and cockatiels and finches and cats and a little Lhasa Apso, a Maltese, she's like 22, a yellow lab Floyd, a black lab Murphy. Murphy's coat, it's very, very shiny, like it sparkles in the sun. And I'm also a part-time dog trainer, so I will always endorse Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Why wait until your dog is shedding like a monster? Save your dog from the agony, the misery of being stinky and having hot spots and shedding and making sure that they have the proper nutrition. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa, the digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. 
get them started early. I mean, your dogs will love you for it. My dogs do puppy zoomies around the house. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite at D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, before we get to our guests, I want to be sure to let everyone out there know how to get in contact with me. If you have questions, thoughts, or topic discussions, you could reach me at Dr. Courtney DVM on Twitter and Instagram, myvetcandy.com, and of course, right here on Pet Life Radio. So questions with positivity and love will get answered with priority, but not exclusivity. So I'll, I'll pretty much answer anything. So today we're talking about COVID-19, and the fight against infectious disease is rooted in awareness and prevention. And at the heart of prevention, we want to protect ourselves. And on anything possible, we're particularly concerned about our species-diverse loved ones. This goes for all our canine and feline friends, bovine, ovine, caprine. I only threw caprine in there because I love goats. But anybody, we are, we are so focused on protecting them. So today we are joined by Dr. Jennifer Chatfield. Dr. Jennifer Chatfield is literally one of the most fascinating and engaging veterinarians I've ever met. Dr. Chatfield is double-boarded in zoological medicine and preventative medicine. So right off the bat, she's a veterinary rock star. And in addition to that, she's one of the most popular speakers at veterinary conferences. She's worked as a zoo veterinarian, an emergency clinician. She's been a practice owner twice. She's internationally experienced having completed fieldwork in Madagascar and South America. She's an instructor for FEMA agroterrorism courses. And just to round out her amazingness, she has conducted research on gorillas and has worked on Capitol Hill. And what I love the most is that she is Vet Candy's Chief Strategy Officer. So uh, welcome, Dr. Chatfield. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. No, thanks so much for having me on. What a fantastic intro. <laughs> well, listen, the reality is I want to call you Dr. Jen, but is that okay? Can I call you Dr. Jen? You can. All right. Well, that's really good news. Listen, I'm super pumped to, to talk to you today because the reality is this is on the forefront. This is on the front of mind for pretty much everybody. We are living in very unique times. I mean, whether you're going to the grocery store, whether you're out to a restaurant, whether you're just catching up with a friend, on the tips of everybody's tongues is COVID-19. So mm -hmm. we do something here on Anything Possible called Set the Scene. So before we jump into COVID-19, could you set the scene for us just in how you got started in veterinary medicine and oh. what your career journey has been up to this point? I know it's been deep. I know it's been thorough, but in a very succinct way, <laughs> yes. how did you get here? And I love how you already classify it as has to be succinct because you know I have extra words. That's all right. Um, <laughs> so so it's, it's actually very simple. Um, I was an animal person who accidentally became a veterinarian. And I say that because I did not intend to become a veterinarian. I grew up on a farm and uh, we always had all kinds of creatures. And when I was in undergrad and I was about to um, graduate and I was going to have to go to work. I actually intended to be a flight attendant because I wanted to travel and I was fluent in German at the time. And Jeez. I thought that would be fantastic. It's fantastic. It's incredible. <laughs> you still squeezed in the travel. That's genius. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, and my folks said, well, that's interesting, but how about you fill out this paperwork anyhow? And so um, then I, I uh, 
got into veterinary school and went to vet school and loved it. I'm, I'm, the universe looks out for some of us. And so, and so uh, I was very happy to find myself where I thought I should be. And so uh, then, then when I graduated, I went to work as the associate vet at a zoo. And at night, I figured I wasn't doing anything. And so during the day, I would work at the zoo. And at night, I would work overnight shifts at an emergency clinic. Anyway, so I've moved on and I've always tried to experience as many different facets of our industry as possible. Yeah. So I try to say yes and then figure it out. And so that's, that's, that's how I am here. Well, no, that's incredible. And it, it just lets us know that you never know where your journey is going to lead you. you never. Know? could start out one thing and then end up something, finding mm -hmm. a passion and a love for something totally different. Some of the listeners right now are wondering, where did you develop your love and passion for both zoo medicine and preventative medicine? How did that happen? Oh, yeah. So because those two things that truly go hand in hand, and there's a handful of us that are boarded in both. So zoo medicine, because I, I was a, a zookeeper before I went to vet school, I was a big cat keeper and a hoofstock keeper. And when I went to vet school, I learned a whole lot of medicine and medicine crosses species lines in general with a few quirks. And so, yeah, so, so I went to work in zoos and then I found myself after that, I moved to Florida and I was very fortunate so I could pick and choose what opportunities I took advantage of. And one of those was to work for the public health department in the division of zoonotic and vector-borne diseases. And so I find myself working with rabies, working with human physicians, human hospital staff. Then I found myself working as a liaison officer when we stood up for the Ebola outbreak, as well as the Zika virus outbreak and chikungunya and <laughs> lots of other outbreaks, as well as uh, natural disasters. So I responded for Superstorm Sandy, and then as well as for the high path avian influenza outbreak in Iowa and different things like that. So there's truly no more powerful education that I can think of than to become a veterinarian. Yeah, I mean, listen, Zika, chikungunya, high path avian outbreak. I mean, this is like the greatest hits of diseases. You're just naming them off there. <laughs> but for people who don't necessarily know what a lot of these terms mean, they, they just, mm -hmm. you threw a few terms out there. Let's just run through them real quick. Hoofstock. What do you mean by that? Oh, hoofstock are antelope, fancy cows, anything fancy. with a hoof. Got it. Okay. Zoonotic. What do you mean by that? So zoonotic, and you and I go back and forth on this term a little bit, Dr. Campbell, as you know. So zoonotic describes a disease that I can get, you can get, and our dog can get. So okay. those infectious diseases that are transmitted between and amongst animals and humans. Okay. And last one, vector-borne. So vector-borne diseases that are transmitted by a vector. So these are mosquito-borne diseases, tick-borne diseases, the vector being the insect that transmits the disease, the pathogen, the bacteria, the virus to the person or the animal. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. You and I, we kind of throw these terms around. And when I hear you work for the Department of Public Health for zoonotic and vector-borne diseases, to me, that's impressive on so many levels. But some people are like, I want to be impressed, but what do those words actually mean? So that's, <laughs> Sounds so that's, very glamorous. Well, it <laughs> is. Not. It is. And uh, <laughs> listen, 
Well, okay, yes, you are right. It is not glamorous, right? But it is it's so important, and, and I don't know if a lot of people realize just how many veterinarians are behind the front lines, mm-hmm. or behind the scenes, I should say, helping to keep America safe. So a lot of contact that the public has with veterinarians mm-hmm. is through companion animals, right? It's through oh, yeah. their four-legged family members and just taking care of them and loving them. And they say, well, this is kind of what a veterinarian does. And that's why I feel so grateful to talk to you because you're exposing a different side. You're basically shedding light on public health and safety and how veterinarians are helping keep animals and people safe. So let's talk about safety. Let's jump right into COVID-19. I am particularly interested in your perspective of this because, you know, on the forefront of what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that a lot of pet parents are concerned, you know, what is the deal with dogs and cats as far as COVID is concerned and what happened in Hong Kong with that particular dog? Mm. What information have you heard in regards to this? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I was not involved with that dog case at all, right? I just like to say that right off the bat so that your listeners know. Of course, right, um, right, right. I want to respond on a couple of levels to um, your comments. So the first yeah, one as is many, that- as many, It was actually a multi-layered question. I apologize for that, but <laughs> take your time. Let's get through okay. it. Okay, so um, what I will say is that you mentioned that people are unaware that veterinarians are working behind the scenes to help to safeguard the public health. and Some are, yeah. Yeah, and I would, I would argue that every veterinarian who's working in practice, stepping into an exam room, is working in public health. Because the role of your family veterinarian is to help you by making recommendations based on what they know to live safely with the pet that you love so that you don't represent a threat to them or their health and they don't do the same thing to you so you don't have to be afraid. And that's what I think is one of the most important things that we do as veterinarians. And then secondly, when we talk about COVID-19, you're right, everybody's talking about it. And everyone's very concerned. I mean, we heard all kinds of crazy stuff in the news, right? Like that they were killing dogs in China. And, you know, like if you were diagnosed with it in China, they were coming in and killing your pets and all this stuff. I don't know that any of that's true. I didn't hear it mm. from credible sources. And I, but I, 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 it would be I very scary. That. I would second that. And, and sorry to interrupt. I just feel that there are some pictures that are being propagated through the internet. And I, and I, although they are jarring images, I just have no background for validity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know where they came from. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about something as scary or as, yeah, I mean, just scary as an infectious disease, I think we have right. to be very careful um, not to kind of feed into that emotional response because you're afraid. And then you throw in something like a, a pet that's a lot for people to process and it can alter people's behavior. So I would caution everyone with those pictures that are circulating. Just, just, I have yet to see any from a credible source as you indicate. And so I'm not certain that that was happening. But when we talk about the Pomeranian in Hong Kong, and it was apparently a 17 year old (laughs) Pomeranian that belonged to a person who was diagnosed with COVID-19. And so the dog wasn't sick. The dog had no clinical signs because I'm sure as you know, and your listeners know, animals have clinical signs. Humans have clinical symptoms, right? Okay. Okay. Well, that's something we've actually never discussed on this podcast. It's something I talk to people a lot about offline, but would you mind breaking it down? You know, and of course, you know, I'll always give my two cents, but what mind breaking it down for uh, the listeners? (laughs) What's the difference between a clinical sign and a symptom? So a sign is something that you see, right? Like you see a road sign. And so that's something you observe. A symptom is something that I'm going to describe that I'm feeling. So 
unless you have a dog who has that magic universal translator mounted on their collar, I don't think the dog can describe clinical symptoms. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. And, and is, there one, is there one example that pops to your mind? There's one example that always pops to my mind. I have no idea why, but, but it does. It's always the forefront. What's, when you think about the difference between a clinical sign and symptom, what's one example that pops into your head? I don't have any right off. Now, oh, now all I can okay. think about is what is yours? Uh, for some reason, headaches pop into my mind. I always think about, I always think <laughs> yes. about dogs who have dental disease or ear yes. disease or anything. And I just say, man, in my life, if I'm hungry or whatever, I've had some of these most splitting headaches. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's always been something that I've wondered whether or not dogs experience headaches and how often do they mm -hmm. experience it? You know what I mean? Again, yeah. this is completely an aside, not related yeah. to COVID, but I'm so glad you <laughs> mentioned it because it is something... Yeah. that um, I have a curious fascination with. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, what symptoms do people experience that dogs also, but we just can't describe it? Well, and it's really funny. So I had a case of a female gorilla and she, uh, anyway, she had some issues. And so long story short, I ended up doing, uh, getting an MRI of her head for her brain. I was looking for a pituitary tumor okay. and I found one. And when I worked with the human specialist, he, at this, he, he called me, I sent him the, you know, the images and he called me and he said, Oh my God, she must have had the worst headache for the last four or five years. Absolutely. And, and he said, is she blind? Because it was pressing, he thought it'd be pressing on the optic chiasm where, you know, where the optic nerves come together, you know, and yeah, yeah. Would, would cause her to be blind. And I was like, well, no, but come to think of it, she does squint at me a lot. <laughs> so I think she, bless her heart, I think she had a horrific headache oh off and goodness. on. Well, so. Well, you, you helped, you helped her alle alleviate that headache. That's got to be the worst migraine for yes. the past four to five years. Yes. Well, also I helped her have the next baby because also it was oh. a pituitary tumor. That's a, like the number one cause of infertility in human females as well. And so it turned out that was her issue for about five years. So oh, then incredible. within six months of coming off of uh, treatment, which was real simple, just a pill every day, she, uh, she was pregnant. And then within the year she had the baby. Oh my goodness. That's, yeah. that's, that's a beautiful story. You know, speaking of primates, I was actually speaking to an infectious disease specialist as well, just in terms of, you know, you had mentioned the term zoonotic and mm -hmm. you and I talk about reverse zoonosis and all, you all the, talk about the, reverse, the, reverse zoonosis. zoonosis. And the conversation I had with this infectious disease specialist when he was working with chimpanzees is just about mm -hmm. the ability for humans to spread the common cold to chimpanzees. And he sure. detailed two particular outbreaks in which for some reason I'm blanking, ah, rhinovirus C mm -hmm. had spread to uh, chimpanzees and they believe that humans were the source of that transmission. Yep. And now we're confronted with COVID-19 yes. and that dog in Hong Kong, which you have had nothing to do with, neither have <laughs> I, just for, uh, you know, allegedly, no, I'm kidding. Right. We just had nothing to do with. So the question became for everybody, yep. all right, this dog tested week positive. What right. is going on there? Is this a situation like the humans spreading it to chimpanzees or is this not a case like that at all? Yeah. So what it turned out to be apparently was, so the dog, as we say, was asymptomatic, no clinical signs, right, of illness at all. But they tested it because it was a dog that, you know, had close and persistent contact with its owner who was exhibiting symptoms and was infected with COVID-19. So they did a PCR right? So they did a PCR test. They did a nasal swab of the dog, just as they would do in the person. And it was positive. And they said weak positive, but, and they did repeated tests and those were still positive. And so people said, oh my God, the dog 
now has COVID-19, can they transmit it back to a person? Well, experts don't agree yet that the dog was indeed infected with COVID-19 because you and I know how dogs see the world. They see it largely with their nose, right? They sniff and snuffle and yeah, they're always looking for everything. And so they, what they could not rule out in that dog was nasal contamination with viral material or exudate from the owner. So they don't know if it was just stuff, uh, viral DNA or RNA as it is, stuck up the dog's nose or was it truly infecting the dog's tissues? And it seems at this point that the majority is going with it was just stuck up the dog's nose. Interesting. Did you just sniff some virus or do you actually have the virus? Right. Sounds, sounds like he just snorted some virus, which right. is bizarre. There has been discussions from Hong Kong officials about a couple of dogs who were in quarantine and released, a cat that was in quarantine yep. and released. And so with all of these, with at least those four that I'm mm -hmm. aware of, there could be more, with those four, a couple of organizations like the AVMA has actually come out and been pretty declared in their statements. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you seen those statements and, and what are you reading in terms of, uh, plain and simple for all the listeners out there, yeah. can dogs and cats at this point get COVID-19? No. Okay. But, and I think but, that's really important to emphasize. Yeah. It, so that, but that's the key is that at this point, at this point, right. now I got to tell you, like Chatfield's own speculation is that if this that is, was possible. This is, the, this is the chat field speculation part yeah, of the podcast. This is what right. I love. This is what I love. <laughs> is that if that were possible, or should I say, I should say possible. Oh, very funny. Very funny. Yes, I love it. I think we would already have seen it because we've seen such a large number of cases. And even if only 50% of those people that were confirmed to be infected with COVID-19 had pets, I think we would have seen it. Now. Okay. We have no evidence at this point to tell us that dogs and cats can, or any other you know, small creature you may have living in your home, could transmit the virus to people or to other animals. Okay, okay. And yeah. so there's no evidence right now that dogs That's can right. transmit it to people or other animals through those normal channels like right. what we believe is uh, aerosolization or particles in the environment, you droplets. touching your face uh -huh. and droplets, exactly. But could you explain to just listeners out there what exactly a fomite is? And do you believe that oh. pets could be a source of transmission in terms of fomites? Oh, ooh, that's a sneaky one, Dr. Campbell. Yeah. So, okay, so a fomite is an inanimate object that can serve as a point of infection for a person or an animal. So, for instance, your doorknob, right? And, okay. and we're, we're pretty accustomed to that these days. We, everyone knows what a fomite is, even if they don't know what the word is. You know, that's why you Lysol your phone, you Lysol your keyboard, you Lysol those frequently touched items in your house or in your office, because you don't want infectious material, schmutz, hanging around, and then you touch it, and then you, you stick your fingers in your mouth or on your face or whatever, and, and now you have the disease. So the common cold, influenza, these are ones that we worry about a lot. So could dogs or cats serve as a fomite? Well, yeah. I mean, clearly, because that Pomeranian had virus potentially on his fur. So if you cough, because that's how COVID-19 is spread, is in the respiratory secretions of an infected person. So let's say I'm holding my dog right up here, right? Okay. Listeners, you can't see it, but I have him right under my chin because that's yes. where we cuddle pets. That's where we cuddle. That's right. And I cough, right? And if, what if I have like a Maine Coon or a Himalayan cat? 
Oh, my favorite. Maine I know. Coon. So fluffy. You're, so, now, you're, now you're speaking my language. So wonderful. And I use them instead of the Kleenex to stifle my cough. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're right here. Yeah. And, um, and considering like stores are running out of tissues and those I sorts mean, of things, you just grab your Maine Coon and there you right. go. There you go. So if I get a bunch of uh, respiratory secretions, like the schmutz when I cough, on my cat's fur, and then later... You know, within seconds, I give my cat to someone else who holds it right up here by their face and cuddles it, and they get the schmutz. Now, the cat may not have been infected with COVID-19, but the cat's fur served as a fomite potentially. Right, and so if somebody pets your cat because Maine yeah. Coons are absolutely so gorgeous and regal, they pet your Maine Coon and then they touch their face. Now, to be clear for everybody, we're still at the Chatfield speculation part oh, of the Oh, absolutely. So none of this has been proven. We're just no. saying... Hey, listen, this is anything is, is technically <laughs> possible. So, so, you know, what we've also been hearing a lot of is like, hey, you know, my dog back in the days, you know, used to receive a DHPPC injection, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that basically stood for distemper, parainfluenza, parvovirus, uh-huh. and coronavirus. And then yeah. the coronavirus vaccine was removed from the dropped out of the list mm-hmm. of these core vaccines. Right. So there are some listeners saying, wait, I don't, I don't get it. There's uh-huh. a coronavirus vaccine for dogs. I don't understand why it's, there's so much delay in developing a human vaccine. I mean, what's mm-hmm. the difference between a feline infectious peritonitis caused by a coronavirus, a mm-hmm. dog coronavirus, and human coronaviruses? Yeah. Aren't they essentially all the same? So this is my favorite response to any question about infectious diseases. Well, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. That's like, then you know that that's my least favorite response that you give. <laughs> yes and you no. That, you do that just to get under my skin. I, love I do. Is it yeah. working? It's it working. Is, it's definitely working. So, uh, so yeah. So, what's interesting about coronaviruses is that it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big group of viruses, and not all coronas are created equal, and so they. It's a family of viruses. And then within that family, there are four genuses. And each of them is a little bit different. And so, and there's different characteristics for each of them. So while they, for instance, they're all enveloped, which means they have a protective fatty layer around the outside of the viral particle. Some of them survive pretty well in the environment for days. And some of them don't. Like COVID-19, it doesn't survive well. Okay, so they're the same in that they are coronaviruses, they're enveloped, but they're not created equal as far as different characteristics like environmental survivability. And one of the other things that's very different and what people focus on when they're trying to develop a vaccine for a coronavirus is something called the S protein. So that's the yeah, S. Just, yeah, just delve into that a little bit, yeah. the S protein. Yeah, I'm only going to delve a little bit. Okay, all right, that's okay. Shallow delve, yes, shallow yes. delve. Yes, yes. Um, so the S protein is, stands for a spike protein, and whoever um, named these things definitely was my, uh, my kind of person because they, they called it a spike protein. It's the protein, the projection off the surface of the virus that the virus uses to essentially kind of uh, stab into that respiratory cell with. So it's the protein that allows for the virus to enter the respiratory cell of the host. Interesting. Almost like uh, how a mosquito gets yes. its meal. Yeah. That's how I like to picture it. Now, yes. whether that's exactly what, like microbiologists around the world do not write in to anything's possible and no. like go nuts on us here. Yeah, I'm already, it- get, I'm already getting roasted on Twitter for that comparison. I, I can right. see it. <laughs> exactly. So 
but the spike protein is what um, it's conserved pretty generally in coronaviruses. And so we focus on the spike protein and developing antibodies that will recognize that spike protein is foreign and destroy it. Because if, if we wait for the coronavirus to enter the cell, the horse is kind of already out of the barn or in the barn? Out of the barn. <laughs> out of the barn. Yes, as far as a viral infection goes. So <clears throat> not all of these coronaviruses are the same. The spike proteins are different, even though they all have one. And so while in dogs, we used to vaccinate for the coronavirus. But it's pretty much, it's a, it's a self-limiting, mild illness in dogs in general. Orange so, area. Yeah, so we, yes. just, we just don't vaccinate for it anymore. Now, having said that, if you have a 10-week-old puppy that is infected with a coronavirus, a canine coronavirus, that's not a good plan. Absolutely because it not. can produce, you know, more significant illness in some um, puppies, which is also why we encourage owners when they get a new pup to really um, adhere to some pretty strict safeguards for that puppy. I mean, you wouldn't take a two-year-old infant to the grocery store and let everybody in town hug and kiss it, right? Yeah, absolutely not. And I mean, okay, I would because I've never held a two-year-old infant, but I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm kidding. If, two, two days, days. <laughs> two days, two days. But in all seriousness, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think that what's pretty genius is that people who love pets seem to have these inherent inherent common sense practices. Now, whether they're rooted in science and yeah. immunology and epidemiology, probably not. But yeah. these, these practices, I think, are utilized pretty, you know, pet lover wide. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to know, all right, so listen, all coronaviruses are not created equal. Some are, they're all like individuals of the family. And if you have a family at home, you know that all of your siblings can be quite different indeed. Mm -hmm. And coronaviruses are, are the same. I think there is some some confusion mm -hmm. in that when people are reading about sudden acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, and COVID-19, they're saying, all right, oh. are those the same thing or yeah. what's going on there? What, yeah. in your opinion, what's the best way to explain that difference in terminology? Oh, oh sure. Because, because this came on so fast, by they, I mean like the media didn't do a very good, very good job of explaining these different terms. And then you hear a press conference and you hear really smart people, right? Like Dr. Fauci talking about this and he'll drop SARS in there and he'll say mm -hmm. this and that. And I'm like, what? So it is important to understand the difference and how these things are related. So the name of the virus is SARS coronavirus 2. Excellent. Let's say that one more time. So the name of the actual virus is mm -hmm. SARS coronavirus 2. And the name of the actual disease is The disease that is produced by the virus in people is called COVID-19. Got it. Okay. So SARS coronavirus 2 is the actual virus and COVID-19 mm -hmm. is the actual disease. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I like the fact that you broke that down. So I think you know, when people, and to be honest with you, COVID is a lot more succinct and less cumbersome than saying All the SARS cool kids are saying it, right? Exactly, exactly. What do you think, and this is a really hard question to answer and not to put you on the spot, but we kind of highlighted the fact that there's been some confusion in, term, in terms of terminology. What do you feel is the most important thing that's being missed in the media in terms of this virus and this disease? So what I think is being missed is I think that the overall perspective of this virus in the scheme of things. 
And by that I mean, you already know, Dr. Campbell, my love of influenza and my admiration for its ability to mutate and how... That's, a, that's probably the most nerdy thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I love influenza and its ability to mutate. Right. And, um, I'm kidding, how, of course. I'm kidding. How I think influenza is going to take over the world. And we have seasonal influenza every year. Mm-hmm. And... It kills people in America every year, tens of thousands of people every year. And it kills the same population of people that COVID-19 produces the most severe illness in, the older people or immunocompromised people, people with respiratory um, illness already underlying, like emphysema or COPD or uh, severe asthma, et cetera. And COVID-19 has now, I think, killed just under 50 people in the country and Tens of thousands have already died of influenza. And there's a vaccine for influenza, and it's effective. And we don't talk about that. So I do think that's being missed. Now, I understand that COVID-19 is a new shiny object, and any emerging infectious disease should be treated as, as a serious escalation, right? Right. But I think let's not lose sight of other pathogens already in our midst just because we've become kind of desensitized to them. That's a good point. And now some people just to play, you know, you know me, I love playing devil's advocate, but for real, I agree. I, just to be clear, I definitely agree with all the points you made. There are some people who feel, and I'm curious to know what your opinion is, is that, hey, listen, the reason why there is this increased attention to COVID-19 are for these following reasons. Number one, it's new and people are trying to figure out this new disease. Number two, there is no vaccine for it. Number three, it seems to be 10 times more deadly than influenza. And number four, it seems to be particularly fast spreading. Like, what's your opinion about people's increased concern because of its increased mortality rate? Do you think that's fair? Or do you think those numbers are a little bit skewed right now? So I don't have to tell you what I think. I can quote somebody who's way smarter. (laughs) Is is that possible? Is there anybody that's smarter than you, Dr. Yes, 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 yes. I don't believe it. So what I thought was fascinating was that I think it was when he testified recently in a congressional hearing this past week, Dr. Fauci made the statement and he said that COVID-19 is 10 times more lethal, I guess, than, than seasonal influenza. Okay. And everyone's head exploded, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so then he had to qualify that and say, well, it's not my, that's not an opinion. That's a statement based on data. Got and it. because it is, and I like data. I, I don't like opinions about infectious disease. Let's look at some data. Now you can base your opinion on the data. That's fine. But right now, the mortality rate that we know is... 10 times that of influenza. Although now, actually, actually, as you mentioned in your, in your introduction for this topic, the mortality rate's changing daily because now we're testing more and more people. And so when you calculate that mortality rate, it's going to become a lot lower, a okay. lot lower. And so I think right okay. now it appears as though it's 10 times more deadly. However, I think when we get to the end of this, even when we get to the middle of this, I think we'll find that it is the same as influenza, if not a lower mortality rate. Okay, excellent. No, I definitely think adjustments will no doubt be made. And and as people are just commuting or, or just checking out this podcast, I want to ask you kind of a two-arm question, if you don't mind. Number one, what do you think is important in terms of prevention? Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as preventing yourself from getting this virus, top three things, top two things, whatever you want. And then the other arm is, if I tested positive 
for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Are there any things that I need to do in terms of my pets and yeah. how should I behave around them? So this, sorry, again, it's a two-arm question, but just take your time. Yeah, we call this a Campbell specialty. Oh. <laughs> um, so, I mean, really, listeners, does he ever ask like a single, direct, straightforward question? No, no, no. no. It's all over the place. No. Yes. Okay, so, uh, so what do I think? I think that there's pretty easy ways to protect yourself from this virus. So we will call these Aunt Jen's tips. Because uh, Aunt Jen's tips. Yeah, because uh, my nephews and my niece get Aunt Jen's tips all the time. Aunt Jen's tips, Aunt Jen's rules. They have all these things, right, in the world of Aunt Jen. And so Aunt Jen's tips for not contracting COVID-19. So the first one is don't hang out with sick people. You have to go get this disease. It's not going to come into your house unless you let it in. You're not going to be exposed to it unless you go out into the world. So be cognizant of who is around you. When you're in an elevator and there's 15 people in there and there's really only supposed to be 10, you know, I don't know if you can hold your breath between floors or no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Only on the 13th floor. You hold That's your right. breath on that floor. But, but maybe, maybe you wait for the next one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because I don't think that's a good plan. Anyway, so just be cognizant of who's around you. I think like everyone's saying, wash your hands. If you can't wash your hands, don't lick your fingers, okay? I hesitate to recommend a lot of hand sanitizer, even though people do, because I think sometimes people use it inappropriately in lieu of washing their hands, and you can't sanitize your hands if they're dirty. And so first you have to wash the dirt off. Dr. Jen, repeat that for me one more time and for everybody out there. Why do you think that there's been some erroneous or incorrect use of hand sanitizer, particularly through the prism of organic material? Yeah, so because you cannot disinfect organic material. And if I give you a picture, let me, pay, let me set the scene for you, Dr. Campbell. <laughs> okay. If I have my shoe and I stick it in a mud puddle and then I pick it up, can I disinfect that shoe right away? No, Definitely everyone not. goes, of course not, right? Everybody knows that. It's covered in mud. First, I have to clean it in order to disinfect it. And so your hands are no different. So if you have visible dirt on your hands, the hand sanitizer is interesting, but you're not going dis- <laughs> to disinfect as effectively as if you first wash them. So totally just wash sense. your stinking hands. Okay, 20 seconds, right? That's the key. Yeah. It is interesting. I will say, I will say this, that it is interesting that we are going back to basics, right? So we all basically grew up washing our hands, but now there are, you know, instructions, tutorials, videos, informationals talking about what is the correct way to wash your hands. It is, it is truly fascinating that we're going back to the basics. Yeah. And so, so let's see, we had don't hang out with sick people, wash Mm -hmm. your hands. And then this one, which I hope is okay for Anything's Possible podcast. Anything's okay here. Anything's okay. 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 It's a safe space. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Judgment-free zone, safe space. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so we, you know, we do say, um, so the, the short version is don't lick it. Don't lick it. If it's not yours, don't lick it. And really what that means is, and the long version is, if it's wet and made by a stranger, don't touch it. Yeah. Right? And so if there's gross stuff, don't put your hands in it and then not wash your hands before you eat something because then you're licking it. So true. Yeah. So these are pretty simple and straightforward things people can do. For sure. And what I think is interesting too is that, you know, people are starting to have an increased awareness. And what this may do is not only prevent uh, the spread of COVID-19, but you may see 
less people getting sick from the common cold or less people oh, getting absolutely. sick from influenza. So this may have uh, this, these practices, these mm -hmm. best practices for preventing infectious disease may reverberate among other diseases. Absolutely. And hey, is that bad? And that's, that's something to celebrate for sure. Something yes. to celebrate for sure. And then, of course, like I said, I knew it was going to be a heavy lift. But the second arm to the question, which is, oh, yeah. if I am infected with COVID-19 or I suspect that I'm infected, <laughs> yeah. is there anything that I should do differently yeah. around my pets? Yeah. So, so if you're infected with this, like the, the most common symptoms of COVID-19 infection are headache, fever, mm -hmm. cough, plus or minus some achiness right? We also call those influenza-like symptoms, right? And so you just feel kind of crappy and you have that cough. So anytime you have a respiratory ailment, you should be cognizant of exposing your pets just as you would other people, especially in this day and age when we know that there are influenzas that can be passed around among humans and pets. Because you may know you have COVID-19, you may not know you have COVID-19, you may have influenza, you may have a cold. I don't know what you might have, but man, none of us wants to give it to our pets. And Nobody so, does. yeah. And so it's tricky, right? Because I got to tell you, when I don't feel well, I want to get in my bed with my covers and I want my cat right up next to me. I want my dog next to me. All of it makes me feel better, you know, but maybe it's not the best. Now, the worst is when you have a pet that knows that because they want right. to make you feel better. Well, of course, they can detect. They're just like, they oh, do. man, mom or dad doesn't feel great. My human mm -hmm. doesn't feel great. And I want to certainly boost their mood and mm -hmm. snuggle them and comfort them. But, you know, it's something interesting you brought up is that sort of marrying your love for influenza and cats. In your, to your knowledge or through your research, have you discovered a few instances of human transmission to cats of influenza? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So especially during the 2009 H1N1 outbreak. You say, uh, oh, yeah, but to a lot of people, that is absolutely shocking and fascinating that there were during the influenza outbreak, as you were saying, human transmission to cats. Even to big cats. Unbelievable. Yeah, some not, cheetahs not actually were diagnosed with it. Crazy. That's crazy. So yeah. cheetahs, where, where were you or did you hear it? Were you amongst the cheetahs that were diagnosed with it? I was not amongst the cheetah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. But they're, keep, they're keepers. Their keepers had 2009 H1N1. And, you know, it, with influenza, you can shed the influenza virus for up to 48 to 72 hours before you ever have symptoms. Now, we don't, we don't think that's effectively true for COVID-19, although there's still a lot of investigation being done because it's, it is droplet-borne. And so we think that, of course, the sicker you are with COVID-19, the more virus you shed. But with influenza, you absolutely can shed the virus to others before you're clinically ill. And so they think the keepers gave it to the cats before they were diagnosed. And so then the cats, but it really, it just caused some mild respiratory ailment in the cheetah. And then they moved on with life as cheetah will do. <laughs> right. That's, that's, we could all learn a little bit from cheetahs how they just move on with they life. Just that is move good. on. <laughs> I'm curious, and, and we've got, you and I could literally talk for semesters about COVID-19 and coronaviruses in general, but just as something, a last question I have for you. I'm curious to know, and this is, we're delving back into the chat field sort of uh, speculation. speculation. What does the future look like for COVID-19? I mean, we hear everything from asymptomatic spread yeah. to, you mentioned it's an RNA virus and how they tend to, mm -hmm. uh, how they behave. And what, in, in your speculation, what is the future 
of COVID-19? So that's tricky. That's really tricky because we've seen, we've seen two things. So the two other recently emerged coronaviruses were the original SARS, right? And then the MERS-CoV, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus. And SARS kind of blew up and burned out and went okay. away. And we haven't had a, a diagnosed case in years. But MERS-CoV is hanging around. So we've seen both possibilities for Corona. So this is kind of the grudge match <laughs> to see what's going to happen here with this third one. So I think that based on how it's moved around globally and the fact that the majority of the population who become infected have mild symptoms, I think we're probably, it's going to be around. I don't okay. think it will be as big of a, like a, an elephant in the hospital room as it is now, because the novelty will wear off to some degree. And I, th I think there's potential for it to become endemic in the human population, just like influenza. Okay. So you think it'll, it's, it's, it's with us to stay and, um, you know, not to sound callous, but we better get used to it in the sense of we better just learn how to live with it and how to prevent it from yeah. spreading. But the other interesting thing about this corona is that once you're infected and then you survive, you now have immunity. That's, that's something that people have been asking about for days. And I just recently heard some information that certainly corroborates what you're saying. So that's really good news. Kind of like, you know, the chicken pox, you know, it's like you get right. it, but that's not necessarily the case for a lot of people. So mm -hmm. now we know for sure that if you get the coronavirus mm -hmm. and you live through it and you survive, you have lifelong immunity. Right, which is a little different than influenza. So true. Right? And the reality is, let me, let me be careful for everybody listening. I actually don't know if it's truly lifelong because this is right. new, right? So again, it, it seems like you have immunity. I hope, it's my fervent hope that it's lifelong. Yeah, me too. Me too. Awesome. But also, we, how would we know? Yeah, exactly. How would we know? Mm -hmm. Listen, you dropped some serious knowledge today. And I hope everybody who's listening, you know, at Wherever you are, whether it's your commute, whether you're at work, whether you're uh, at home just with social distancing, I hope you enjoy this info because Dr. Jen, she not only has the, the bona fides and the professional bona fides to support a lot of this information, she's thoroughly researched. And I, I got to be honest, I'm just so grateful that you, were, that you, you joined this podcast and, and thank you for imparting that excellent information. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I love it. I just love it. You know, I know when you go several octaves that high, you're totally faking it, but that's okay. We, lo we love it. We love it here on Anything Possible. But no, seriously, you're amazing and I appreciate you. And if you, if you don't mind, as more developments come in, would you mind joining us for round two on COVID-19? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Happy That's to talk perfect. about it. You know I love my infectious diseases. Oh, thank you so much. This is great. She, you heard that here, folks. She loves infectious diseases. This was uh, Dr. Jennifer Chatfield. She's double board in zoo medicine and preventative medicine. As I mentioned, she just has a really thorough history of working internationally and within the U.S., particularly with the public health department in zoonotic and vector-borne diseases. She broke down for us a lot of really important terms and, and facts, including difference between clinical science and symptoms, uh, what a fomite is, can, what, how we should behave around our pets, particularly in COVID-19. And most importantly, we talked about prevention, you know, and this is common sense stuff, folks. You know, this is what I love about it. Uh, just don't hang around with sick people, wash your hands. And, and as she said, don't lick it. These are Aunt Jen's tips. And then lastly, 
you know, how do we behave around our pets? And I think, again, we just don't want, right now, there's no record or no in indication that we could spread COVID-19 to our pets, but we just want to be cognizant uh, that we could, you know, pass some droplets onto them and we don't want them to pass that on to anybody else. What does the future hold? We don't know, but as Dr. Jen detailed, it could be around to stay for quite a while. So this is something that we'll continually get updates on, continually get new information, and that's what we're going to try to do here on Anything Possible is give you the most accurate and up-to-date information. So again, thanks so much for joining this podcast, and I hope you join us for the next episode. It will be another fascinating and engaging guest as always. And just remember, there's nothing stronger than the human-animal bond. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.